If you're just trying to get to the point where you're comfortable, you're cutting yourself off from your best success. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Do you think it's possible? Well, of course you think it's possible. Otherwise, you wouldn't be hanging around here where we talk about it week after week. Yes, this is Dan Miller. And yes, this is the 48 Days Radio Show, where each week we take about 48 minutes to dive into those real-life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day excited to be able to do something that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. Yeah, hey, this is where normal, indecision, and ambiguity come to die. Welcome to the 48 Days Radio Show. Got two sponsors of our shows today, Fresh Books. We'll be telling you about those in a little bit. Casper, Casper Mattress. That's why I wake up rested every morning. You can go to casper.com slash sleepyoulove. Use the promo code sleepyoulove to save $50 off your purchase. I'm telling you a little bit more about that here in a minute. Well, yeah, don't aim to be comfortable. I mean, you're never going to be your best if you just want to be comfortable. Being comfortable can lead to complacency, laziness, mediocrity. You know, if you're successful on 80% of the things you try, you're probably not stretching enough to find where you are best. You aren't growing if you're always successful. So we'll, we'll look at that. We'll break that down in a little bit here. Are you in your sweet spot or in your comfort zone? Well, here's some other questions. Should you leave a good paying job for one that serves better cause? Well, that's kind of a common theme. And I got some comments on a question that I shared a couple of weeks ago. Should you ever do that? Should you leave a good paying job for one that pays you a whole lot less, but it serves a better cause? Well, interesting question. Not one answer for everybody. Well, how about this one? As Christians, we tithe on our personal incomes. But what about our business? We'll look at that. And I'm working 60 to 70 hours a week now. How can I start something on the side? And somebody wants to know, how can I position myself as a gardening coach? Well, we get answers to those upcoming events, books to give away, a whole lot more. Stay with us here. Francis Chan has our quotation for the week. And it is this. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter comes from Francis Chan, author of, uh, what did he write, Crazy Love and some other things. Well, hey, let me tell you about fresh books here as we get started. So you're racing against the clock to wrap up three projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to life as a freelancer. Challenging? Yeah, but our friends at Fresh Books believe the rewards are so worth it. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for being self-employed. Now, to meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. 
The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. You can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. Set up online payments with just a couple of clicks and get paid up to four days faster. You can see when your client has seen your invoice and put an end to the guessing games. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days and enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. Seems so many of you have questions about accounting. And again, it's not one of my favorite areas, not one I do well at all, but when you need to be on top of, so hey, check that out. Now, here's a really cool story. This comes from Todd and Emily. Todd and Emily are the couple who created the song that we play at the end of the show. You know, this one. 48 days to the working they created that story. Well, that song, rather. I got an update from them. I was thinking about them the other day, just shot them a note. Just again, expressing gratitude for that amazing song that now is in the repertoire of a, a lot of little kids who I hear singing that song. This is an update from them. So it's kind of a cool story. When we moved in, there were only three houses on our long driveway, which didn't have an official street name. Someone ended up moving next door, bringing the total to four houses and requiring us to take a vote on what the name would be. Emily and I never got a say in the vote as our invitation to do such got lost in the mail. One day we got a notice that our street name had been changed or decided to be God's Country Road. God's Country Road. Now check this out. Todd says our house number just happens to be 316. So they live on God's Country Road 316. It, that is so cool. He says, we were surprised. We had no idea it would be changing. We later did find the papers to participate in the voting and some junk mail on our table. Anyway, it comes just a fun update. They live at 316 God's Country Road. What a cool thing. Todd and Emily, hey, they are a gifty song, G-I-F-T-Y song. I mean, they do custom jingles like the one you hear here week after week for us. You got a new podcast or some kind of a show coming up or just want a branding thing for your website or product, hey, check them out. They're fun to work with and do a really great job. Well, Casper, you hear me talk about Casper. Yesterday, I went to the dentist, had some big work done. Anyway, one of those unpleasant things, I couldn't wait to just get to go to bed last night. A little bit of pain, just worn out from the day's events ready to go to bed, knowing that I can relax on that perfect mattress that's made by Casper. So, you know, you've heard me talk about it. It's award-winning sleep surface developed in-house as a sleek design delivered in that small, yeah, how did they do that box? Now, the mattress industry, you know, has forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups at Casper, revolutionized the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms, passing that savings on by going directly to us, the consumer. Buying a Casper mattress, completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and free returns with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. I've never heard of anybody who's done that. We have a whole lot of you 48 Days listeners who have, in fact, purchased some mattresses. I've never heard of anybody being unhappy with it. 
Now, I got notes from people who decided that the first purchase they were going to make after their wedding was to get a Casper mattress and a whole lot of other fun things. Anyway, free shipping returns to U.S. and Canada. Try it for 100 nights. You know the routine. Check it out if you're in the in the prospects for a new mattress or just know that you need something better to sleep on. And sleep is an important part of being fresh, energetic, and at your creative best. Go to casper.com slash sleepyoulove. Use the promo code sleepyoulove to save $50 off your purchase. And of course, delivery is always free anyway. So you're really going to get a great deal there. Check it out. Well, a couple news things here that I want to just add in. It's important, I think, that we stay on top of some of the things that are happening out there. I am not a news junkie at all. I mean, we don't uh, have the TV blaring. I just noticed yesterday there was some kind of a glitch with our dish service, and all we got were paying channels. So channels above 400, where you get all the stupid, smutty movies and, and sports things, which I don't pay for either. But anyway, that's all we were getting. I called. They said, well, your service hasn't been working for, you know, quite some time now. I hadn't even noticed it. I didn't. We didn't know that it wasn't because usually when our TV on, it's, it's playing music. But anyway, there are some things I get news feeds in other ways. I've talked about student loan debt. We know now that it's at $1.4 trillion. It's bigger than you know, the real estate bubble, the banking bubble, all those kind of things, it's just astronomical. But here's something, again, we're, we're going to have to see some corrections on that. It's just inevitable. I think we're going to see a snowball, and unfortunately, it's going to put colleges and universities out of business because they depend on that student loan backing in order to charge the fees they do for kids to keep coming there. The average freshman in college now, this is, you know, people, kids who are just starting out, seven out of 10 of those are predicted that they'll graduate with over $50,000 in debt. How would you like to just, how would you like to have no income, no job, no house, no car, no 401k, no investments, and you're $50,000 in debt just to start off? I mean, that's a big hole to dig out of. And for most of them, it's going to take an average of 20 years to pay it back. I mean, you just amortize that, even at a low interest rate, 20 years to pay it back. I mean, think about how that eliminates possibilities in the career process right at the front end. What if you want to, you know, be in Greenpeace or you want to serve in some nonprofit organization or you want to be a missionary somewhere or you want to go down and help build schools in Haiti? You don't have the option to do that because you got to start paying back the student loan debt that you've got right away. I mean, it's the, the whole thing just works against us so many ways. Well, I'll keep giving you updates on that as it gets worse and worse and ultimately will start to correct itself. Now, here's another thing that's pretty interesting. I, I read just yesterday, famous clothing brands are at historic lows and major retailers are closing hundreds of stores. 2016, 2056 clothing stores closed their doors. Now, we're saying, seeing that this is going to be even worse this year. There's a brokerage firm that says barely a quarter into 2017. Year-to-date retail store closings have already surpassed those of 2008. It's possible that more than 8,600 brick-and-mortar stores will close their doors in 2017. 
But now here's where it gets interesting. We're not in a recession. I mean, America's GDP has been growing for eight straight years. Gas prices are fairly low. Unemployment is under 5%, which is historically, I mean, we don't expect it to ever get lower than that. The last 18 months have quietly been producing excellent years for wage growth, particularly for middle and lower income Americans. And this is not just because everybody's getting things on Amazon.com, so retail stores are closing. Closing? No, it's because things are shifting. I mean, in 2016, only 6% of retail purchases were made online. So it's not that, but it's that other kind of purchases are growing astronomically. Travel is booming. Hotel occupancy is booming. Domestic airlines have flown more passengers each year since 2010. And last year set an all-time record with 823 million passengers. The rise of restaurants is even more dramatic. In 2016, for the first time ever, Americans spent more money in restaurants and bars than at grocery stores. Think about that shift. My gosh, when I was growing up as a kid, my mom and dad's anniversary was was May 6th. We would go out to Howard Johnson's on the Friday night that corresponded closest to May 6th to get fish dinners or their anniversary. That that's I mean I remember that. We would go out to eat as a family once a year. I don't remember ever going out other than that. My goodness, now Joanna and I, yeah, living here in Franklin, Tennessee, we have so many options. There's just the two of us, and frankly, there's very reasonably priced options. Yeah, we eat out a lot. But Americans spent more in, in restaurants and bars than at grocery stores. So here's the, the kind of conclusion of my thoughts here. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of stores that are closing. But what's happening is we're buying fewer things, but more experiences. Like going out to eat, like travel, like staying in hotels, you know, like going to foreign countries. I mean, materialism is on the decline, but relationships, things that foster relationships. And I talk about that week after week after week here, how important that is. Those are the things that are expanding. So if you've got a business, some kind of an idea or a product, if it will help increase relationships, you really have a shot at doing well. I mean, when I think about the things that we're doing, you know, 48 Days Eagles, 48dayseagles.com, that growth of that online community, you know, I'm seeing a lot of you there who used to be in 48days.net. A lot of you, it's interesting, used to ask regular questions for the podcast are now asking those questions in 48 Days Eagles, which I love to see. But it's because we're developing the relationships there. Mastermind. Kind of live events that we do. Yeah, we teach knowledge, but the reason we keep them as live events is because of the relationships that are forged and deepened and nurtured. Those are the things that make it interesting. Okay, hey, one more thing, and then I'll go to questions here. This is a stat, and this is where I want to talk about this comfort zone sweet spot. We want to move you into your sweet spot, not just in your comfort zone. So if we look last at last year, the 10 top starters for all-star NBA players, the top 10 players made a whopping 
$224 million. These are just basketball players. The top 10 basketball players made $224 million. Now, the interesting thing is what we see when we look at their average field goal percentage. I mean, how many times do they shoot the ball? Now, if you're, if you're thinking, okay, these guys are being paid millions and millions of dollars. So if they shoot 10 times from the field, they better be making 10, maybe nine or eight at the very least. No, that's not true. Here's what we actually see when we look at these 10 top NBA players. They're averaging 48% from the field. Kind of an easy number to remember. I like that number, 48%. 48%. You know, I'm, I'm going to have a new theory about how often you need to be successful. These guys are the top players, and they're averaging 48%. That means they're missing more than half the time, missing more than half the shots that they take. Now, here's where I want to talk about your sweet spot and your comfort zone. In your comfort zone, you're at ease. Things are pretty effortless. You're working, being successful, but you don't really have to reach or stretch a whole lot. And of the things you attempt, 80% or more are successful. Wow, you may be patting yourself on the back and thinking, this is pretty cool. I'm really in this zone, this comfort zone. But stretching yourself out of your comfort zone will enable you to take larger risk and grow. Inside your comfort zone, you rarely unlock your full potential or achieve what you're, comf- what you're capable of. And as I mentioned in the opening, you know, that kind of being comfortable can lead to complacency, laziness, mediocrity. Just outside of your comfort zone lays a space that we call optimal anxiety. That's where you have a chance to move into your sweet spot where you're most likely to release your true greatness and experience extraordinary success. So it's the sweet spot that you're looking for. Again, I'll give you some percentages here. So in the comfort zone, 80% of the time you're successful in everything that you do. In your sweet spot, you experience frustration, difficulty, challenges, and you're engaged in a real struggle as if you're stretching for something just out of reach. You just see it, even touch it once in a while. It's not quite there. Of the things that you attempt, 40 to 60% are successful. Again, that's where we're going to see that 48% drop in there. 48% drop in there. If you're successful 48% of the time, I like that. You know, I talk about the fact that when I set goals, and I'm really strict about setting goals, but I've always said that I I usually consider I have about a 50-50 chance of hitting those goals. A lot of people aren't real thrilled about that. If they set goals, they want to hit it 100%. No, if I hit 100% of my goals, you know, then I think I didn't set things high enough. I didn't stretch enough. So I like this. And these new studies are kind of confirming that. Your sweet spot, if you're 48% successful, you're doing okay. There's some things I've tried this year that have not been as successful as I wanted. You know, we launched the 48 Days Seminar Facilitator Program. And it's going okay. I mean, we've got about 115 people who have checked that out. 48 days seminars, you know, who have come in at some level to help present those. I mean, that's certainly nothing to uh, take lightly. I'm thrilled with those people. 
but I thought we'd be at 500 people by now. I really did. I thought we'd be at 500 people because it seems like such a no-brainer to just link arms with us, as a lot of you have said that you wanted to do, have something that's totally laid out, planned. It's all on video. All you do is just pop it in. Boom. Yeah, you got to get people in a room, but we even help you do that. But, you know, so it's not been 100% success. I didn't have even 80% of the success that I was anticipating. I mean, 80% of the success, let's see if I wanted 500, that would have been 400. No, I'm a long ways from that. But that's okay, because I think we're figuring some things out. So we've got your comfort zone. Yeah, not a real desirable place to stay. Your sweet spot. Yeah, where you're successful 48% of the time, where you're stretching, reaching for things that you've not yet done. And then we've got below that the survival zone. I mean, that's a place where you would be experiencing confusion, desperation, gal, you're overwhelmed, scrambling every day guessing at what it would take to be successful. We got some questions today that kind of are indicative of the survival zone of the things you attempt fewer than 40% are successful. Yeah, that, that we need to take a fresh look. You want to move up into that sweet spot, but don't think you want to just breeze through into the place where you're always successful. You know, Brian Tracy, when he talks about how people become millionaires, he says, number one, they have clear goals. Number two, continuous learning. Number three, willingness to take risk. Again, those three things. He says this is how people become millionaires. Clear goals, continuous learning, and willingness to take risk. Well, let me go into some responses here. Now, this comes from Becky, who's writing in response to Claire who wrote in, uh, this has been a couple weeks ago, I went back and grabbed Claire's question, and it was this. And this is such a common theme, it, it fits in bringing it up again anyway. Claire said, would I be crazy to leave an unfulfilling job, making five figures after 25 years, to work for a humanitarian organization that serves those in need in various countries? The pay is 8 to $10 an hour and would be at one our commute. So I responded to that. I said, well, making five figures, you know, I don't really know. You could be making 99,000. You could make, be making 10,000. Those still fit in the five figures. But if we went to the bottom end of that, you know, to go from a job like that into a job where the pay is going to be eight to 10 hours, eight to $10 an hour with a one hour commute. I do not recommend that. I'd rather see, and I recommend it to Claire, I would rather see her get a reasonable job making a good income than volunteer your time and give a portion of your income to that worthy organization. But I've seen too many people talk themselves into working at a church or a nonprofit because they were attracted to the mission only to end up resenting the whole idea because they couldn't make their own life work. You know, when you can't pay the rent, can't pay the electric bill and can't buy groceries, you know, you don't go to the grocery store and say, well, I'm doing this really good work. I work for this great organization. We're helping make the world a better place. They're going to say, congratulations. You know, where's the money for the groceries? Well, anyway, Claire wrote in. Now, a lot of you did. And this, I, I love the kind of balance that I need to be reminded of here. So Becky wrote in, rather, in response to Claire. She said, I was making $85,000 a year. I had a beautiful two-bedroom condo with an ocean view and drove the car of my dreams. And was absolutely miserable every day, often crying before having to go to work. This job was not only unfulfilling, the owner was very unethical, and I didn't even want to look at myself in a mirror. 
I don't know where Claire is in life. She said she worked there for 25 years. I still don't want to make assumptions about her life. For me, Becky continues, I sold my furniture and most of my household goods. I gave away a ton of clothes and needless to say, minimized my life as much as possible, including moving out of my condo into a rented room. I did this to take a job that paid me about $30,000. So she went to almost a third of what she was making originally. There was nothing that I gave up that wasn't worth this transition. I was happy every day, poured my heart and soul into my work. This was noticed quickly. I moved up quickly, making more money. Never made the 85000 that I was making previously, but the peace of mind and happiness level made up for it. And I adjusted my style of living to suit my new paycheck. She said, Becky says, fast forward 10 years. I wouldn't be able to do that now. I'm the breadwinner of the family and responsible for five miles to feed and shelter. But at the time, leaving the money for happiness was completely worth it. Well, Becky, thank you so much for your input on that. I mean, it's a good balance, certainly, to what I recommended to Claire. I mean, I still stick by my guns on that. I see a lot of people who try to convince themselves that just doing worthy work is enough. And if you do have responsibilities financially, then it ends up being leading to resentment pretty quickly. Well, I had, I had another response here. This has been a couple months ago. I had twins write in who had both gotten PhDs in linguistics. Remember that? The L he wrote in was Kelsey. Is my identical twin and I love your podcast. We've applied to 70 plus jobs. We've not gotten a job yet after graduating with PhDs in linguistics a year ago. We've read and followed the tips in your books, but no luck. And then went on with our parents are urging us to be flight attendants. Our passion, though, is language, food, and culture. Well, have somebody, people listen to the podcast, you know, go back and listen to old ones, certainly. And Dale says, I was just catching up on your podcast. On your March 3rd podcast, you read the letter from Kelsey. When I heard their story, I got very excited about a potential opportunity I think would be a perfect fit for them. I think they have a huge, unique selling proposition in the fact that they are identical twins with identical interests. My suggestion would be to approach travel companies that could now offer guided culinary tours, which are already popular, hosted by identical twin PhDs who are experts in language and culture. How cool would that be? Sure sounds like something I would find interesting. Well, he's asking to pass it along. Dale Brickman, thanks for your note of encouragement there. I'll sure pass that along to the twins. I need an update from them. I haven't heard from them. Yeah, I need to talk to them to see if they've figured out some creative applications of PhDs in linguistics. Well, hey, take a quick breath here. Remind you, these are real questions. Listeners like you, you got a question? Delighted to hear from you, integrated into an upcoming radio show right here. Just go to 48days.com, click on the podcast link. You can leave it there. You can leave a little audio message if you want. We've got a couple of those coming up here shortly. Or you can just shoot email directly to me, askdan at 48days.com. And that email is askdan at 48days.com. Be delighted to integrate it. Incidentally, just a reminder, too, you know, the 48 Days Eagles, I mean, what's happening there? I don't talk about it much, but I love seeing what's happening there. I love seeing people coming in there daily, uh, joining the group, entering into the conversations. And that's where it's in those relationships. It's in the conversations going on that the growth is really taking place. So we have a lot of resources there, adding those weekly. Every Monday, 
We have a, a free mentor call. So we have experts that are in there who offer their expertise on a particular topic. This week it was Marcy Travis who talked about how to make a resume that gets attention. It was awesome. The information that she shared had a lot of listener questions live during that call. So those are the kind of things going on at 48dayseagles.com. You can go there and check it out if you've not yet joined us. This comes from um, Parish. Parish, it looks like. My wife and I are starting a business making and selling art. And I've run into a question about structuring our budget. How do we incorporate giving into our business? As Christians, we tithe on our personal incomes and intend to continue to do so. What about our business? Do the Bible's commandments about tithing also apply to the income of our business? Or do we render unto Caesar and keep it separate? Thanks for all you do. We'll perish from Penelothian, Texas. Interesting question. And, and, and the answer is, is really pretty, well, it, it's not simple. But the, the structure of your question is pretty simple in that if you have a sideline business, all of that money rolls into your personal income at the end of the year anyway. So if you have a sole proprietorship, an S-corp, an LLC, all of that's going to flow 100% through to you as the owners anyway. So you're going to show that as personal income at the end of the year. doesn't matter if you have regular jobs and you're doing this on the side. Doesn't None of that matters. It all comes... 100% to you as personal income at the end of the year. So if you're going to tithe, it would be on that income that would include any income that you made from your business. So the only question is, do you wait till the end of the year to do that or do you do it you know, ongoing month by month? Well, let me just kind of change the question a little bit. Joyn and I have been you know, involved in this in a very long time. You know, We've always had our own business. Since day one, I've never had a job with a paycheck. So we've always been in this space. Tithing and giving generously are two different things. I mean, tithing and showing a 10% tax deduction on your taxes are two different things. Now, I, I just had my taxes completed and I really, I could not tell you what percentage of giving was shown there. I had to go back and look at it just so I have a frame of reference, but I really don't know. The reason I don't know is because I don't pay any attention to it at all. Because we are not strict tithers. Now, in saying that, we want to give more than 10%. That's not the issue. But the way that we give it is not determined by the laws that our government has. And as an example, we uh, went to a fundraiser. It's a organization that changes the lives of young men who have made poor decisions. And I paid $2,500 for a table. And then we invited some friends to go with us. Well, I paid $2,500 for a table. So they showed me as a sponsor in the promo that they did. There were banners there that night that showed, you know, sponsors. So I showed that as a promotion and marketing cost through 48 days. Now it was really just a donation. But the, the deduction is a little better if I show that as a promotion and marketing cost. So we do a lot of things like that that really are just deductions, I mean donations, to worthy causes. But because of having a business, we can show it as marketing and promotion. There was another one. Joanne and I went to a fundraiser just recently, a couple of weeks ago, at the Franklin Theater, beautiful venue. And it was for an organization that 
helps people who have been convicted of drunk driving. Takes them through a program, turns them into upstanding, godly community citizens. We know some people have been through the program, so we're very supportive of that. They had a cake auction. So they had cakes, beautiful cakes that had been donated, and they auctioned them off. Joanna and I paid $1,400 for a cake. Now, obviously, we weren't just buying a cake. It was a donation. But again, because of the way it was structured, I showed that as a promotion marketing cost. And then there are things that we do. Like last year, we, we purchased a car for a young couple who really needed a fresh start. We, we bought them an SUV. That doesn't show anywhere. I don't show that anywhere as an expense, donation, nothing. I mean, there's no nonprofit that that went through. I didn't even, we didn't try to figure that out. And there's a young mother who Joanne is very supportive of. And, and I know she sends her at least $100 a month just to help her out. But again, it doesn't go through a nonprofit organization, so it's not tax deductible. We don't care. Here's another example. Just this week, we got a request from a guy, a note, and it says, Good day, my sir, my name is Technical Sergeant Brian Bender. I'm a basic military training instructor for the Air Force. The reason I'm writing is because at this stage of my assignment, I'm an instructor over at the Med Hold. This is the squadron where trainees go if they've been injured or something medically, physical or mental is preventing them from continuing training. For some, it's a matter of a couple of weeks of physical therapy and following doctor's orders. For others, it's, it's a matter of ensuring the military has done all they can, but unfortunately, they must be sent back home never to fulfill their dream of serving their country. Since they are unable to continue training while in med hold, they have a lot of downtime to do pretty much nothing but read. We have a library within the squadron where they can sign books out, but most of these books are fiction. Having read 48 Days to the Work You Love, myself, I was wondering if you would be able to willing to donate a couple of your books to the library. I feel your books would help inspire and encourage them to pursue their passions and heal them emotionally and spiritually. Thanks for your time and consideration. Brian Bender. Absolutely. I've got boxes of books in the back room that are books that publishers have sent to me. Authors have sent to me great books on spiritual, emotional business development, self improvement, the exact kind of things that Brian is talking about here. I'm going to go back there. We were just going to donate those anyway. I'm just, I'm going to go back and sort out like 20, 30 of those books that would be really applicable for what he's asking for. And then also throw in a generous supply of my books, 48 days to the work you love. No more dreaded Mondays. Wisdom is passion. Red of the day. I mean, absolutely. We'll do that. I don't keep track of those in terms of, exact numbers so I can show it as deductible. It's just part of doing business well. I would encourage you to do that. Let your business be a form of giving. You know, if you're making and selling art, my goodness, donate a piece to the Girl Scouts in your community or donate a piece to a retirement center. You know, it's good business and getting your name out there, but it also is a donation to a worthy cause. But my, my the bottom line is, and again, I'll, I'll I love your question, love your heart, Parrish, and what you're doing. But don't let a government tax law be the basis of your giving and generosity. And I, I believe God owns it all anyway. We're just stewards of a few things right now that will be gone very quickly. So we just share liberally. And I don't keep track of those percentages. And 
again, I don't keep track very carefully of what is tax deductible because we use our business and our lives to share generously with people in ways that go way outside what the law what the law allows. Okay, wow, got carried away on that one. I want to go to Paul's question. Paul says, I'm looking to move to an area that's more affordable and closer to family. I'm visiting the area in a couple weeks. Wanted to know if sending a video of myself highlighting my strengths and weaknesses and passions so the future employers will meet me before they meet me. Would that increase my chances of getting the interview or the job? Paul, I would suggest you do not do that. Now, I know the hottest thing going right now is video. Everybody's doing video. You know, jumping on Facebook Live and all kinds of other new technology, we've got to get video, a lot of video out there. But keep in mind, too, the, the trail that you're leaving when you do that, because unless you're using really sophisticated technology, that's pretty well archived out there, and potential employers can find that as well. They can find anything you put out there. Only last week, I put up a video of uh, a raccoon on my property here. Well, no, actually the raccoon, I let go of a possum, had a possum that I had in a trap. It wasn't what I was hoping to get in the trap and relocate. But anyway, so I just went over and opened the trap. Well, I did a little two minute video of that possum that then just stood there looking at the open door and didn't walk out, stayed there for like an hour and a half. And I did this little video encouraging a stupid possum to step out Man, there's nothing holding you back. The door to your freedom is wide open. You know, I know you've gotten comfortable in there. I know you think there's going to be food in there all the time, but there's a wide open door to better things out there. Anyway, I did that, put that out. Well, I have right now like 10,000 views on that goofy little video because it's what videos do. But do I think a video is a good way to introduce yourself as the first time to a potential employer? No, I don't. Here's the deal. When you do a resume, when you do a well-conducted job search, you want that potential employer to see your resume. You want the resume to whet their appetite so they want to see you in person. They want to meet you. Shake your hand, look in the eye. That's what you want to get to. You don't want to give them enough information in the resume so that they could make an intelligent decision about whether or not to hire you. You want to whet their appetite. Don't give them the whole truckload. They'll make a decision and, you know, it's usually not going to work to your benefit. The same thing is true in a video. Yes, you can do it. Yes, we have the technology. Yes, I think it's telling them too much information about you at that point. You want them to be farther down the line in thinking that because of your skills and abilities, your competencies, you're somebody they might want to have you on their team rather than seeing, oh, this guy blinks his eyes too much, his hair is not the right style, he should have gotten new glasses, you know, he's squinting when he's looking in the, I mean, there's so many little nuances that can work against you, I would not do that even if it was, and, and there have been companies that have talked to me about, you know, their desire to do really professionally done videos of job seekers. I don't recommend it. I just don't recommend it. I recommend that you do a more traditional job search and then when you make the contacts with these people that you where you're going to be in a few weeks and tell them you're going to be there in person, set up personal interviews. Absolutely do that. Set up the personal interviews. That can be awesome. 
Okay, here's a, uh, I've got a couple video or audios here uh, that I want to play and we'll talk about them. Here's one from Matt. Hey, Dan, it's Matt Rafferty. I've been a listener and follow of yours for years. And I had to laugh when I heard your podcast about not being afraid to step out with plans that make other people think you're crazy. Well, that's exactly what my wife and I did earlier this year. We started a podcast and each week we interview an author about writing and publishing and promoting their first book. And the idea is to inspire other authors to finish their book and actually get it published. So if you get a chance, uh, give it a listen and let me know that I really am not crazy and that it was worth stepping out and doing something different. So thanks, Dan, for your inspiration. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for your note, Matt. And, you know, Matt's website, the podcast is theauthorinsideyou.com. Matt and Leah, his wife, do that dude a great job. I checked some of those out. It looks good. I got a couple questions, Matt, about what it is you're doing. Again, I commend you on stepping out, taking action, doing things that, you know, that scare you things that other people would think are crazy. That's exactly what I was describing and being in your sweet spot rather than in your comfort zone. Sweet spot is where you try these kind of things. My questions are, are you trying to build your own brand? You know, at the website that you've got, it is just the podcast. That's it. No introduction, no overview. It's just the podcast where you are introducing, interviewing authors. Are you trying to build your own brand? I mean, what's your business model? Do you want to generate income? Are you just enjoying and promoting new authors? I think you're going to have to have a little more robust website if you really want to develop into some kind of a brand. In my podcast, if you go to 48days.com, yes, there's a podcast link, but it's one link of several, and the others tell you all the other things we're doing as a real business. The podcast is simply a marketing tool to direct people back to some of the other things that we're doing. What I would encourage you to do, and again, I love the, uh, the name that you've got, the author inside you, love that. But I'd encourage you to get connected with other people who are doing things or new authors as well. People like Jeff Goins with his Tribe Writers. Uh, Carrie Oberbrunner has Author Elite Academy. Tim Grawl has Launch a Bestseller. Greg Murphy uh, has his BizProof Live conference coming up where he shows people how to make money with books. Get connected with Read to Lead podcast. My friend Jeff Brown, you know, one of the best author interviewing podcasts out there. You can learn a lot from listening to, to Jeff and what he's doing with that. But anyway, get connected with these people who are in the same space. I mean, these are not competitors. These are people that are collaborators with you. You can learn by linking arms with them. They can connect you with the best of the new upcoming authors. You can be a resource for them. But I think there are a lot of things you can develop around this really make a business if in fact that is your interest let me i'm going to jump on a couple more here this comes from from brenda i drive over the road and i'm gone six days a week i have one day at home there's my question is how do i do something like a seminar when I don't have that time. I do listen to audio. I'm more listening to information to make me smarter, to 
help my spiritual walk. I listen to Dave Ramsey. I listen to Joe Lostein. I listen to Kevin Rutherford. I listen to Coast to Coast. So I'm getting information, but while I'm driving for 10, 11 hours a day, I would rather listen to information than music, but I don't have the time when I get home. So how do I address that problem? All right. Now, I played that because it's indicative of a lot of you that I hear from. You know, how do you do something on the side when you're just overwhelmed with what you're doing now? Now, Brenda describes working 60 to 70 hours a week. How do you start something on the side? For one thing, you, you are not going to be able to do personal coaching or seminars, things that are time intensive like that. There's no margin. I mean, personally, you know, I think if you're over 40 or 50 hours a week, you're borrowing from success in other areas of your life. And there's other things that are going to suffer as a result. But you have to have some margin. So if you're in a lifestyle where there's no margin, then you just have to realize you backed yourself into a corner. You have to have that 10 to 15 hours to start anything. Now, if you can, even with a busy schedule like that, squeeze out 10 to 15 hours, yeah, we've got a plan. You know, I document that again and again on here. You can use 15 hours if you break it up into four different areas and really start something. Brenda, with what you're describing, yeah, you could do an ebook. You know, you could do a little audio program or a course. You know, you can do some things like that that then are not dependent on just your time. You can be selling things on eBay or Amazon where you can check at any time of day. It's not time sensitive. You can do things like that, but you can't do some of the things we talk about here with the kind of schedule that you've got now. I want to grab one more here and then we'll wrap up with this. Hi, Dan. I want to start coaching in a heavily saturated industry uh, in gardening. And I'm wondering how I can position my coaching as something of unique value that would stand out from the crowd of excellent garden advice and bloggers that's already out there. Thank you. Well, hey, I'm going to start our music as I just end up with this. If you want to be a gardening coach, you have to decide what makes you unique. Go through the three-part sentence. I help blank do know or understand blank so they can blank. Then you have to decide what are you going to do to get noticed. Seminars, podcasts, blogs, speaking at local events. And I've got a neighbor who's a gardening coach, Lee Thunderbird. You can check out her site, StonyCreekFarmTennessee.com. She does classes on beekeeping. They have rent rental plots. They have a U-Pick garden. She speaks. They did their own book. I'm going to send you a copy of her book, Dirt Rich. Those are the kind of things, incidentally, that we walked through coaching with excellence. Coming up May 25th, 26th, we walk you right through the process of positioning yourself as a coach, what to do in the first 48 days after leaving here. You're going to hear from people like Giovanna, what she did in the first 18 months to skyrocket as a leading professional coach. Hey, check it out. We'd love to see you here for Coaching with Excellence. Well, hey, just in a wrap up, check out 48dayseagles.com. That's the organization, that's the community that's growing daily. 
lot of you are getting involved there, sharing your ideas and resources. I appreciate it so much. I value this opportunity. Come to you, talk to you every week in this. Thanks for being part of this growing community where we all are, in fact, finding or creating work that puts us in our sweet spot. Work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. 